The Lessons Learned for Vets podcast is proud to be brought to you by AFMA, the American Armed Forces Mutual Aid Association. Established in 1879, they are the longest standing nonprofit association empowering military families with affordable financial solutions for generations. Offering life insurance, wealth management, mortgages, survivor assistance, and other benefits, AFMA is here to support you through every stage of life. AFMA is dedicated to helping service members be financially and logistically ready for life after the military. To support you in this process, AFMA would like to offer you their free downloadable transition timeline, a step-by-step guide to help you create a comprehensive military transition plan. Let AFMA help you get ready for your next step by visiting afma.com backslash LL4V. That's A-A-F-M-A-A.com slash LL, the number four, V or clicking the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast, your military transition debrief from the veteran mentors who've gone before you. My name is Lori Norris, and I've been teaching veterans how to successfully navigate their military transition since 2005. I'm a civilian who speaks the language of all branches of the U.S. military, and I'm on a mission to educate veterans in the job search marketing process. This podcast shares the military transition hot washes and after action reports of your fellow veterans to smooth your own path out of the military. The thing that I would say about transition and marriage is that you definitely, definitely have to be communicating what you're feeling as you're going through your transition. From having a conversation about finances, I mean, number one, hopefully most marriages are sitting down together and going through the books and having a financial talk because it's not course, when, you know, you're transitioning, you don't know, you know, if you're going to find a job, oftentimes, you know, you don't know exactly how much do I need to be making in order for us to maintain this, this standard of living that, that we currently have. Uh, but I would say that the number one thing is uh, making sure that, you know, a couple sits down and communicates uh, both what they're feeling, because oftentimes, you know, we only think about it from a military member's perspective, but not necessarily from the spouse's perspective as well. So, you know, you need to see, like, how is your spouse feeling about the transition? Because oftentimes, you know, as a military member, you feel a sense of loss from the military, but Mm -hmm. the spouse has just as much, you know, stock in the game as you as as a military member. Because when you think about uh, uh, when the military member deploys and stuff, oftentimes it's other spouses within the unit, you know, the the key spouse group within the unit or whatever that, that reaches out and really tries to make sure that the spouse has everything that they need. So I say that to say uh, for the military member, they definitely need to have that conversation with their spouse too, because it's a transition for them as well. Well, on today's episode of the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast, I'm excited to bring you another two-person episode, but this one's a little bit unique because I'm welcoming a dual military married couple who have both made it through their own unique military transition. So we're going to start with ladies first, right? So Anika Brown retired from the Air Force after working in aviation maintenance and intel. Since her retirement in 2018, she's been working for a government contractor using her administrative skills. In addition, she has found a creative outlet in sewing and has launched an alterations and custom fashion design business. Her husband, Curtis Brown, retired from the Air Force where he had a very diverse career that spanned aviation maintenance, healthcare program management, and military training instructor. That's a lot of changes. In his own words, his transition was pretty smooth as he pursued several certifications and has been working in program and project management since his retirement in 2019. He is also the director of military affairs for the Alamo chapter of the Project Management Institute. Well, welcome to my married couple. I appreciate you both being here. Thanks for having us, Lori. Thank you so much. We are excited. So I want to start off with transition stories, because as you guys, when we met, you t- you told me like it was very different for both of you. You had very different experiences. So Onika, you transitioned first. So see, you got to test the waters. That's why his was, was smoother, right? So um, I want to hear about your military transition. So, yes, I got the transition first. And like you said, I retired in 2018. Um, 
at the time before my transition, I was using my administrative skills. I was um, a security manager, so personnel security. Um, and what that means loosely is anybody with the clearance, um, specifically a TS clearance, um, I was the person that would, whenever it needed to be renewed, I was tracking when it needed to be renewed. Uh, anything that they needed to report because they had a clearance, um, I would track that and report that up the chain as well. So um, I had a really cool position before I transitioned, and it was an easy position to, once I transitioned, I could walk right back into it Um because there was an opening um, as a contractor to do that. So opportunity and job-wise, um, it was a very easy transition because I had a job that literally I was hired prior to my retirement date. So while I was doing um, leave. Terminal leave? leave yes. Yeah. While I was doing terminal leave, um, I pretty much had a job that I could start um, or walk into. So that part of the transition was very easy. And I say that because I do know there is some anxiety and angst about, you know, you're doing something for so long, you know that you're getting paid a certain amount. And then you don't know when you go into this building sector, how is that going to look? So I was very fortunate in the sense that I, I didn't have to worry about that. Um, where my transition, I think, I want to highlight for me is that um, so job wise, the transition was easy. And also I was also walking into a job where I wasn't going into a whole new field with um, all new different people. I literally changed the uniform. I went from uniform to civilian clothes. I was around the same organization, the same uh, culture of people. So that was very easy. Where my difficulty was in my transition was more so, I guess, uh, personal and mental, trying to f now find my way and who I was as a person without wearing the uniform anymore. Even though I was around the same type of culture, um, it was a it was a difficult process for me because I had joined so young. Um, I was seventeen when I joined literally I left home two weeks after high school walking into um, a military that I knew nothing about and so growing up in that environment literally being a kid and growing up um, and leaving that trying to find out who Onika was so um, that is pretty much my transition um, uh, story in the shortest possible <laughs> That's a very condensed version, right? So you bring up a really good point is that like when you are stressed about money, how am I going to make money? That is like, that's a keep you awake at night kind of a stress, right? And so having that, you know, that, that worry removed was probably helpful for you to be able to open up your mind to like, okay, how now I've got to deal with these other things, right? Yes. Yeah. So I think that that is one helpful thing, right? But we always say like transition is much more than that checkbox item of get a job. And so I think you bring up a really good point is a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to take off the uniform. I'm going to go back to work. It's going to be so easy. Hit that, you know, staples easy button, if you will. And it's just going to be the same. And it's not. Not at all. You don't wear the uniform. You aren't treated the same. You are no longer like one of the military service members. You're a contractor now. And I want to come back and talk about that after we hear about Curtis's story, because I think that's worth addressing. It's like, how does that dynamic change? You know, I want to I want to come back to that. So we're going to come back to that. But we want to hear your story, Curtis, because you had it easy. You got to got to learn from Monika, right? So she she did all like walked the path for you before, and then taught you everything she knew, and you had it easy. No, I'm just kidding. Tell us your story. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as far as my transition went, uh, you all right? I did kind of get an opportunity to walk the path as as a military spouse, right? So I went to taps with her and kind of got an opportunity to hear about other people's. Uh, transition story and you know sit through the VA briefing and all that stuff 
Well, I was going to say as far as um, for a month, so uh, just going back just a little bit. So uh, I started out as the aircraft mechanic, as you said. So I worked on uh, the auto gunships. And then, you know, I wasn't able to go to school and stuff. So then I retrained into public health. Uh, I did that for a whole lot of years. And all of a sudden, the Air Force said, hey, Kurt, we need to go down to, to BFT, basic military training, and, you know, get down there, run with, 18, 19-year-olds, you know, five, six days a week, and uh, we just need you to go down there and help change the culture up. So uh, I got called by the Air Force, went down, and became a military training instructor. Uh, definitely one of uh, the highlights of my career, uh, a great opportunity just to be able to see the change and, and those young people, you know, going from one day they're in high school to the next day, you know, they're marching out of Reed Field and, and how proud their parents were and everything. But I got to the end of, of that assignment and, you know, the Air Force said, hey, we have two options for you. So you can either go to Canada, New Mexico. And I was like, I don't know. And the other option was, uh, as everybody likes to say, why not, why not? So why not North Dakota? So as you heard my wife say, at this point, she had, was pretty much already doing her transition, had a job lined up. We have two sons. Uh, they're uh, 16 and 13 now. But at that time, they, they were much younger. So, I mean, they got friends here and they're playing basketball and football and all of that stuff. So really, I had a decision to make. It was like, hey, do you want to accept the orders and leave the family here? Do you want to uproot the family while everything is getting rooted and things are going good and move them out and, you know, uh, rank up, get that next rank, and continue on with your career. So I opted to uh, retire and in lieu of accepting those orders. So with that, I had uh, seven months before I had to transition out. So, I mean, granted, I was comfortable with with transitioning, but it happened so quick that I wasn't necessarily quite prepared for it. But luckily, um, I had some mentors, maybe like, hey, Kirby, you need to look into some certifications. So I actually wound up uh, doing my certification through uh, Onward to Opportunity. I did my PMP through Onward to Opportunity. Syracuse University, which is a, it's a free certification program for veterans and for their spouse, one free certification. And um, yeah, so when I did that and then I transitioned out and then I got involved in a local chapter. So that definitely made uh, my transition out of the military uh, a lot smoother having uh, that certification because, you know, a lot of employers and companies, they definitely value certifications. I mean, it's great to have um, to have your degree especially in a specialized field, but it's, it's also great to have a certification, right? Because that shows that not only do you possess the knowledge, but you can apply it in real time. So that's why a lot of employers really, really like certifications. But you know, that, that was pretty much my, my transition. I mean, it was like all of a sudden one day, like, uh, hey, you got seven months. So uh, yeah, that's a shortened timeline, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely was. It definitely was. But uh, yeah, we we were blessed um, throughout our transition. She transitioned first, and then uh, right as soon as I transitioned out, I started doing PMP instruction uh, at that time. So I kind of was still a free spirit. If I wasn't uh, <laughs> instructing and teaching, you know, going over to Japan to teach, or going over to England to teach, or you know, here stateside. I mean, I had I still had my time. So. We're a little bit there. I feel like a hundred percent, like for real retiree. So that was very cool. <laughs> Getting to travel wherever you want. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was okay. very, very fun. I want to come back to what we talked about earlier, Nika, because I think it's a really good subject to talk about. We really didn't plan to talk about this, but you made a great point. And can you just give me some ideas of the differences of coming back into an organization? where you used to work wearing a uniform and how that changed when you came back as a contractor. So the funniest thing to me is it, it literally took me probably about six to eight months to not answer the phone as my rank from Tom because it was like automatic, right? So even, even just getting used to hearing Mrs. Brown or your first name, instead of started, you know, so-and-so. So that was, that was kind of weird. Um, and then even the people that knew you in uniform, now you're a contractor. So there is even a difference between becoming a government employee, GS civilian versus a contractor. Cause there's some, 
a lot of things that contractors, you know, we're pretty much there to do the tasks. We we can't really make a lot of decisions. We're advising. Um, we're not making a whole lot of decisions and we're definitely not dealing with budget and money, right? Um, and there's a lot of things relationship-wise where a government contract, I mean, excuse me, a government employee or even a military employee, you just can't, you know, give gifts or things like that. So, but you know, these people, you work with these people before. And so even, um, seeing younger airmen or seeing something as Sergeant Brown, I would have addressed. I can't address that as Miss Brown. And it was kind of, Oh, I want to say something, but it's almost like, um, you know, when you're a parent, to a child and they grow older, you know, your roles as the parent changes. Like you're not the, um, you're not on them um, all the time. As they grow older, you kind of want to step back, let them kind of make their own decisions. So you have to transition in how you parent. So I'll, I'll use that analogy. Like I had to transition and not being a senior NCO to people, but just sitting back and waiting maybe for somebody to ask me I can't you know be up front so that was that was kind of challenging and and very weird and it it took about six to eight months to to kind of get used to my new lane yeah if you will I, I had a lane that I needed to stay <laughs> I don't think that people often think about that right is that that change it feels like it's going to be so similar and they get in there and they're so it's so different and foreign <laughs> that it's like you're you feel like you're in a, a land where you are a citizen, but you're no longer a member of that. You know, you're no, no longer a citizen of that land, right? And so I think that's a really good point. Thank you very much for sharing that because I, it's not something we've really talked about yet. So you've had a really unique experience in that. Yes. And not quickly, I want to say like it it wasn't necessarily my experience, um, but I know like for maybe officers or um, people that are running running flights or more the commanders or things I actually have a friend um, who's in her transition process but before she was like commander so-and-so now working in her new role in a company I even shared with her like you you can't come like I'm I'm major so-and-so like I'm colonel so-and-so like you're Mrs. so-and-so so now there's a new hierarchy that you'd have to get used to. So um, I think maybe sometimes it's probably harder for or more challenging for those of us that had more responsibility and more rank where we have to now come, you know, kind of humble ourselves because things aren't going to get done just because of our name or rank now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I think it's, I'm so glad that we brought it up so that we could talk about it. So people are, I just, you know, I feel like the show is, yeah. You know, it's we are the warning system. <laughs> so beware, this could happen to you. <laughs> and Lori, I was uh, I was going to say, too, in regards to uh, being a uh, contractor, too, because I work for DHA as a, as a contractor as well. So once you get into the contractor space, it's like navigating these three different circles, as as Alika said. So on one side, you have the active duty circle that you have the GS. And then you have other contractors that you work with. I mean, it's not just, you know, you're the only contractor with your company. I mean, there's other company contractors that you're working with. So for me, I would say uh, one of the challenges that I kind of had, or maybe not so much a challenge, but just something to get used to is like, as I'm serving the customer, i.e. The, the active duty, the mission that needs to get done, like how, like, where do I fit within these three circles? How do I find, like the best way to to serve the customer and what is my role in providing, you know, customer service, not only to the GS side, but also to the active duty side. So I would say that's, that's one thing that as a, you know, a federal contractor that you have to get used to navigate to. Because as Onika said, I mean, before most people were used to being active duty. I mean, look, you, you need new pens, you need uh, supplies, you need whatever you just get with the person in order. And it's, it's, you know, I use that as something small, but I mean, it's it's different as a contractor uh, trying to figure out like, all right, who who do I go to? What can I say? What can't I say? What should I say? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> really figuring out, you know, what is the best way to to serve the customer. 
That's very interesting. I don't, you know, you don't really think about all of the different intricacies of the system until you're in it and you're trying to make it through and trying to survive, right? So um, when we talked last time, Onika, you shared with me that you didn't really love your military experience, right? And that like in the beginning, you t- kind of tried to erase the fact that you had served. Like you wanted to just leave that behind, right? And just say like, I'm done with the military. That's it. Like, how did you make it through that process? Because not everybody has an exceptional military experience. And Lori, that that was the that thing I think was the biggest shocker to me, even mentally, is that like like I shared with you before, um, I joined two weeks not knowing anything about the military, not not having any idea of what it was going to be like okay so it was like brand new so I get in and it's like just so different I had to literally learn how to navigate every single thing because I didn't have anything to oh well somebody told me this like I didn't have anything to reach back to so everything was new so during my career um it was just it was just very hard right so um I was I started off as a as a um aircraft avionics mechanic and that's a male dominated uh, career field i was a female there was only a handful of us as female and then and then i was there was only a smaller percent of that being a person of color female so for a lot most of my career i always kind of been the only one in the room so i did so that was difficult, right? So um, though I had made good relationships and good people in the military, it was just, I'm like, man, this is not me because at the core of my soul, I'm like a creative. I always think of myself as like a gypsy, like, okay, I, once I don't like this, I can move on. And, you know, um, so when I got out, I thought it was just going to be easy because I was like, okay, I'm done with this. I can just forget all of that and move on. But like I said earlier in the interview, I literally grew up in the military and that there had come a point in my career where I reflected that I had been in the military longer than I had been out of the military from a baby to the time that I left. Like I spent so much time in the military. And so I had to realize that the person that I was at that moment the military was a part of creating who I was. So mentally, once I, through therapy, journaling, all of the things, once I could say, Onika, you're you're who you are. Like you're you're this person. You're a great person. You're whatever adjective, like the person that you are, you wouldn't be that without these experiences. So that kind of helped me to embrace um my journey my life journey and part of my life journey a major part of it was wearing the uniform right and once I couldn't uh accept that that is when I really just started to feel comfortable in in learning who I am as a person but I first had to realize that who I am as a person had a lot to do with all the things that I learned being in the military and what it taught me. I think that you make a really good point. Like we talk a lot about you got to separate like who you are and in the you, right, uh, right, from the military. And the more you can figure out who you are, the easier that transition from the military often goes. But they're so intertwined, especially for you, like two weeks out of high school and you're like... Like, talk about putting your feet to the fire, right? Like, high school, two weeks later, you're in basic, right? So, um, I, and, you know, and that's the thing is, like, we talk about, we've talked about this on the show before. It's like, well, I don't know who I am because when I was 17 and still had no idea who I was as a person, the military took a hold of me and shaped me. And so it is intertwined. It is, there are so many, like, you know, the military made you this. And so I think that, like, learning the value and the positive of what the military did for you is probably the best way to do that, don't you think? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
I love it. I love watching your husband watching you and he's like shaking his head like, yep, she's a gypsy. Yep. Yep. She's creative. <laughs> Very much so. Yes. He's kept me stable so many times. <laughs> my, my life project here. My life project. Wait a minute. No. <laughs> we'll deal with that at, off off camera. So, <laughs> Well, you know, we you we all talked about this and you reached out to me, Curtis, and you're like, I, I want to bring the married couple perspective to the podcast. And like, you know, and I talked about it with um, Kim Campbell a couple of episodes ago. And like one of the unfortunate things that I have seen having worked with transitioning service members is the marriages often like very long term marriages fall apart during the transition process. And so you are a dual military married couple who have both navigated the transition. Like Curtis, what advice would you share with your fellow military service members about transition and marriage? Yeah, so uh, the thing that I would say about transition and marriage is that you definitely, definitely have to be communicating what you're feeling as you're going through your transition. And I mean... From having a conversation about finances, I mean, number one, hopefully most marriages are sitting down together and going through the books and having a financial talk. Because it's not, of course, when, you know, you're transitioning, you don't know, you know, if you're going to find a job. Oftentimes, you know, you don't know exactly how much do I need to be making in order for us to maintain this this standard of living that, that we currently have. Uh, but I would say that the number one thing is uh, making sure that, you know, a couple sits down and communicates uh, both what they're feeling. Because oftentimes, you know, we only think about it from a military member's perspective and not necessarily from the spouse's perspective as well. So, you know, you need to see, like, how is your spouse feeling about the transition? Because oftentimes, you know, as a military member, you feel a sense of loss from the military, but mm-hmm. the spouse has just as much you know, stock in the game as you as, as a military member. Because when you think about uh, uh, when the military member deploys and stuff, oftentimes it's other spouses within the unit, you know, the, the key spouse group within the unit or whatever that, that reaches out and really tries to make sure that the spouse has everything that they need. So I say that to say uh, for the military member, they definitely need to have that conversation with their spouse too, because it's a transition for them as well. And oftentimes, you know, if you've uh, been blessed enough to have a spouse that you know, they get a great job and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, six months later, you have orders and they have to pick up and leave, you know, that's definitely an, an opportunity for you to kind of pay it back and say, hey, you know, whatever you want to do career wise, you know, we're family going to follow you and allow you to uh, to do those things that you want to do, whatever your goals, dreams and, and aspirations are. But the number one thing I would say is it's definitely sit down, having a honest, open, you know, conversation, uh, whether, you know, the, the other person may want to hear it or not. I think it's, it's definitely uh, very important because oftentimes with marriages, this those are the things that hurt the marriage is not being honest and upfront. And then somebody holds on to something. You know, that thing takes root and then before you know it, it's, it's grown into a whole big wide tree uh, when it could have been addressed, you know, when it first was a seed, you know. So, yeah, I would say that's that's my my biggest my biggest uh, piece of advice is definitely just having those having the open communication and, you know, just sitting down and and going through it, being open and honest. Are you sure you're not a marriage counselor too? I I am not. PMP educator, project manager. I am not. <laughs> Onika, anything you want to add to that in terms of like making sure the marriage stays strong and and through that transition process? So, being that we were both um, military, one of the things is that just because you're both military and you both are transitioning, whether at the same time or different times, every, I, I want to emphasize every transition for everybody is different. It's a process for them individually is different. So even I love how Kurt had talked about if it's not, if it's not dual military, but it's just one military member and their spouse that the spouse has skin in the game too. So they have a transition. So 
if it's too dual military, his transition was different than mine. And so with that communication, he was able to give me grace to be able to transition how I needed to and vice versa. So giving each other the grace. I would also say too that because you're transitioning as individual, um, I don't know if we did this um, per se directly, but I know we do talk about our goals and next steps and things like that. So I would suggest, you know, during the transition period or after, let's reevaluate, you know, our lives as a married couple, because now we're moving into another chapter as a married couple. So you can't operate necessarily the same um, as you were before, because being in, we were both grinding. I'm not saying that non-military people don't grind, but it's like, you're in this grind. Now you don't have some of those same pressures. So now let's go back to the table. Like, okay, let's do an assessment. Babe, where are we? Like across the whole spectrum, like where are we as a couple? And then the last thing I would say for us, um, one of the biggest things, I mean, from being married in the military and being married not in the military is that we operate, we we say team brown, we operate as a team, like it is a team effort. So where one of us is maybe not strong in an area at that time or any time, like we, we know like, okay, we got this cause we're a team. So we always put the team in front of us to kind of navigate some of the things. And we're like, man, we're, we gotta, we gotta build this team. We gotta keep the team strong. So that's what I would add to that. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's, um, those are all really good pieces of advice. And I've found that communication of expectations is the number one thing from when I've talked to people is that like the biggest issue I've found for people is that they didn't tell each other what they wanted after the military. And sometimes how do you know, right? Just like you didn't know what it was going to be like being a contractor back in the same place. Like sometimes you don't know until you're in it, but being able to talk about things, like you said, Kurt, for, you know, <laughs> you get it when it's a seed before it grows into a full blown tree that has split you apart um you got to address it and be open to addressing it so and uh lori last thing i would say as far as uh couples though is also evaluating like where you are and like while you're going through your transition because i mean at this stage in, in our lives you know we have uh, parents that are a little older you know have health concerns and things like that but we also have kids that are high school and middle school so it's like you kind of find yourself in the middle where you're, you realize like, man, you know, when you were younger, you thought like mom and dad were just so super invincible, like nothing could ever happen to them. And as you get older, you, you start to see like, you know, how fragile that life really is. And you see your parents and you're like, man, okay, well, you know, I remember them being my age that I am now and, you know, looking at where they are now and really just wanting the best for them. So as part of your transition, that may be something that, you know, other couples have to take a look at, too, as far as for like where they want to live and things of that nature. Because, I mean, if your parents are far away and there's health concerns, I mean, that's something else that you have to take into account um, as far as for tribes who help provide care for them. So, yep, that is your right. I mean, I am uh, my mom lives with us. She's 87 years old and not always in the best health. And so I am that sandwich generation with my two kids in college and my mom here living with us. And, you know, we built this house so that she could live with us comfortably. And, uh, you know, it's something to really think about and plan for your future. Like what is going to happen? So maybe you have to talk with your siblings um, and say, you know, how are we going to handle this? And, um, yeah, I think that that is that does add a whole nother layer, doesn't it? As you get older and you you have to think about these kinds of things and see like what is the plan going to be? You're right. Then even you know, do even think about that in terms of the planning process, but it absolutely should come into play. Yeah. So you guys came prepared with a list of items that you want to talk about. So I'm gonna throw you a topic. You guys can figure out how, what you want to say on this subject, okay? So I've just got a list. We're going to throw it out there and see what you have to say. So let's talk about survivor benefit plans. So I will say that for dual military, um, 
we looked at the survivor benefit plan. Um, we also early in our career, early in our career and early in our marriage, um, we did take advantage of getting outside financial planning help, um, which we still have a financial planner. Um, so basically weighing the pros and cons of taking the survivor benefit plan or not. So I would, I would advise, um, especially if you have other things, just look at the pros and cons. And so with dual military, um, and that we have our own benefits as an individual, uh, for us, the survivor benefit plan, um, wasn't the best thing for us to do. So we did decline that. I'm not suggesting anybody else. I'm just saying, weigh your options. And because we're both our own entity in our benefits, um, that we just chose to leave that on a table. You know, but I would say it's, it's definitely something that as a couple, and they're going to bring both people in anyway. It's okay. okay. Do you want to accept it or do you decline it? Uh, but for us, we just chose to increase our life insurance policy versus going with the survivor benefit plan. Because number one, it was cheaper that way too. As Olika said, at the end of the day, we're both veterans. So when one passes away, um, you know, we'll we'll still have uh, those benefits for for the spouse or whatnot. So yeah, that's one of the things um, that I always say that couples should definitely take a look at. And while we're kind of there, um, before members get off active duty, definitely look at getting life insurance. Or you get a VA disability rating, you know, before you come off of active duty, because while you're on active duty, you're considered a healthy, healthy member, a healthy population. So, you know, at the most, they'll probably draw blood and still ask for your medical records. But once you have a VA disability rating, then that changes the aim. Yes. And your insurance premiums will go up as you're trying to get a life insurance policy and also trying to get other health insurance if that's something that, uh, that you decide to pursue. Yes. I think the one thing that I'll say here is that everybody's situation is different and, you know, you've got to weigh your options far in advance. Like don't, you can't wait till the last three weeks before it's time, you know, your retirement ceremony and make that decision because then you're going to be making a rushed, uninformed decision. So as part of that, you know, that 18 to 24 months that we talk about is part of that is weighing all of your options and making informed decisions and just know that there are other options out there. And I think, like you said, it's, you've got to look at, you know, your health, your, um, you know, your financial situation, all of those things need to come into play and just be open to exploring other options. Right. Definitely. And Lori, I am so glad you, because I didn't know if in the wrap up, I would get back, but this, what you said about don't wait to the 18 months or the year before I even wrote this down, like, for military members, you know, TAP, the transition um, program, they usually offer that to you like a year out, right? You're like, oh, I got a year, a year to figure it out. But in hindsight, we both said if, if you could just start thinking about your transition and all of these things, I would say at least three to four years yeah. out, just start thinking about it. So like, um, if you have to get things in place that would t that might take a year or do or things to look at. So the military will offer you that year. That's kind of like their 18 month transition period. But realistically, you want to start thinking about these things three to four years. out, So you can just start planning, saving, weighing options, all of those things. And there's so many moving parts that just it's very overwhelming if you wait till that last minute, right? It's like, uh, yeah, too many things to juggle. And one of them's on fire. One of them's a chainsaw. And, you know, so it's, it's a lot. So um, you guys said I also mentioned tax bracket changes. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I wasn't quite prepared for that. So for, for all my, my best that will be transitioning here super soon or within the next couple of years. That is definitely something that you want to keep in mind and think about because once you come off of active duty, you know, that BAH, which wasn't taxed, that BAS, which wasn't taxed, now, you know, is you have a lot more taxable income. And as a couple, 
you know, Uncle Sam doesn't care who makes what. It's it's all one pot, especially if you're if you're filing um joint or married. It's all one pot. So he says, hey, I want my percentage off of everything that you all that you all have made. So that's definitely something that uh, that you definitely want to keep in mind. Um, if you don't have a business or haven't thought about a business, now's a good time to think about a business. Because uh, at least I know here in Texas, uh, you can get your LLC for free, which is only like $300. So they do have that program where for veterans, they're able to get their LLC for free. So uh, definitely something to think about because then, you know, you're able to decrease your taxable income through your business expenses. Not a bad idea. So, yeah, definitely something to keep in mind. And also your retirement check. Oftentimes I've talked to so many veterans that are, you know, when they first retired, enough federal income tax wasn't being taken out. So at the end of the year, if you go to file your taxes, and they're like, man, I got to pay $3,000. I have to pay $5,000 because, you know, they weren't taking enough taxes out of your uh, military retirement check. So definitely check that. And you can increase your, your federal federal income tax withholding. You can go uh, right on my pay for retiree pay and increase that. So that way, you know, at the end of the year, you're not like, oh, now all oh, was funny. Okay. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. I didn't even realize that you could adjust the amount of tax coming out of your retirement check. Um, I have a friend who told me, I, I think his was five digits. So he had like, a, I think it was more than $20,000 tax bill his first year. So, you know, him making a lot of money, wife making a lot of money, retirement, you know, like all of these things just were like a perfect storm. And it's like, well, there goes my cushion. You know, thank you, Uncle Sam. Here you go. Yeah, because well, I was going to say that's why um, before, luckily, we, we you know, just were blessed and kind of fell into it. But uh, we actually got a uh, tax accounting like right before we got out. So, yeah, luckily he has kept this on a straight and narrow, like with all of that stuff, because when it comes tax time, it's like you're trying to look at these forms and if A plus B equals C, then D and look at C minus five times 15. It's like, man. Yeah. So with that being said, um, this, this makes me think, build your team because when you're in the military, you can go to finance you can go here you can go there and they just have this these people um for for good reason like we have these resources easily disposed to us whenever we want to go right so you retire you might you retire you might can still use these resources but now you're not active duty so you're not um priority so it might take you longer to get these appointments if they still take you as a retiree. So you want to think about building your team, uh, your financial planner, um, a, a CPA, a tax person, instead of going to the airman's uh, place and they do your taxes for free. And then in layman's term, like when Kurt was talking about before the BAS and VAH, um, Hopefully on a good trajectory, you know, you're going to retire, you're going to have those skills. And so then when you do get a job, whatever field, you're going to be very marketable and they're going to want to pay you what you're worth um, prayerfully. And with that being said, you're going to, you're going to make more money, but the government isn't subtracting how much your mortgage is like, that's going to be all in your thing. But at the end of the day, I do want to say, um, I think life is about perspective. And even though we we got those those bills uh, where we're owing money and we're trying to like decrease our um, earn our taxable income, but at the end of the day, with perspective, I like to think that we're blessed. Like we're 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 paying these mu- this much in taxes because we're blessed to be making this much. And so then it, it kind of helps you to now you want to think about how am I being a good steward over the the blessings that I do have? Because some people that don't have to pay a certain percentage in tax, I mean, you know, you're not, you know what I'm saying? You just want to have a good perspective, like, man, we're, we're doing really well. So let's, let's be good stewards of, of the, of the blessings that we were able to receive. Yeah. I'll do my best to feel positive about paying taxes, but I don't have that. I can't make too many promises to you, but I'll try. But no, you're right. It is, you know, it is a 
um, you're fortunate to have these kinds of problems, right? And, um, and, but, you know, we, I don't know about you, but I would like to give, I would like to keep as much of my money as I can. And so, like you said, getting that team, having a good, solid financial plan, talking to an accountant yeah. so that you're not surprised that first year. We don't want you to wipe out your, your cushion like my friend. So I think that's great to know that just to have those conversations with professionals so you can run the numbers and really know like how much should I set aside and and really maybe just plan on that very first year, like having that cushion built up so that should something happen um, and, and like you said, having that plan of maybe some alternates like a small business or, you know, those types of things like, you know, a custom fashion design and tailoring business that Onika is running on the side to be able to, you know, have her inner gypsy come out. So there you go. <laughs> and again, that's why it's important, I think, to start thinking about these things maybe three to four years out because who know you're active duty now. A lot of people are going to give you discounted, you know, services or free services because you're active duty member just to get in that, um, you know, that grind to start getting this information. And then when you retire, you've been a customer of theirs or you've been already getting this information and it can make that part more smoother because you've already been exposed to some of the things and like that you might not even have to pay for some of the services because you were active duty at the time and that, that's great advice and so the last thing i want to talk about is like you talked about how important it is to be intentional about your health like your emotional your physical your mental your spiritual health talk to us about that going back to um when you're in that sandwich and now you're you're saying you're you're taking care of your parents and you'll probably have kids or young adults that are growing up, right? Mm-hmm. I'll I'll speak of like um, physical health, like seeing your parents, your mom being eighty seven. That's such a blessing. Like that, she's that's amazing. Our parents um, are tw- like in their early sixties, and. I'm like, that's not that's not even old. Like you should be enjoying your life now, but because they didn't uh, take those steps to be healthy. Because even in the health world, like what you do today, you're not doing it necessarily for today. You're doing it 10 years for 10 years later. So seeing, I know seeing our parents in their health situation has sparked us even more to stay on our health um, journey, um, to be able to enjoy that period in that space in your life where you worked, you you worked hard already. I'm not saying we're not still working, but we've put in that that bucket of energy when we were younger. And so now we want to be able to enjoy the income that we have to be able to go on trips. Now we can walk upstairs. We want to be able to enjoy that health-wise. And then for me, mentally, you when you're in a the military, probably a police officer, a firefighter, where you have to always stay ready. There, I don't know what it is. There's just something that just blocks you where you have to be focused to get the job done, where you don't really have a lot of time to really, 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 really reflect because you got to get the job done. When that blanket is removed, Oh my God, you just, you don't know what's going to drop out. You don't know what you'll have time to think about. And so staying mentally ready, taking those tools that you have in your toolbox, using those, um, getting help therapy doesn't mean you're crazy. I used to think, oh yeah, you're cr-. does not mean that. Sometimes they're just there to listen to you, to help you sort things out. Cause once you get them out, you don't, they're not just scrambling around in your head. So therapy to me is, is is amazing. And then growing up, well, not growing up, but I'm saying early in my young life, going to church, you know, um, as I got older, um, I realized that sometimes, you know, spirituality is, is, is just more than going to church. There's a whole lot more than that. And that prayer is amazing. Prayer works. But again, 
prayer, um, other there's other tools that you can use um, with the spiritual things. So just keeping yourself um, healthy so that you can enjoy the time that you put in before so that you can enjoy this this time in your life. What about you? Uh, yeah, I'll leave the stone wall. Nah, nah, I was going to say, um, kind of going back to the physical, right? So I know, you know, every military member can think like, oh man, I got my last PT test. And right after they finished that PT test, it's like, I'll never run it again. Well, you don't want to say that. I mean, ultimately, you know, the military had us do that physical fitness for a reason. As Onika said, so we're ready to, ready to, to go. You know, fly, fight, win, go hit the battlefield, do what we need to do to uh, to defend our, our nation and everything. But ultimately, you want to continue to maintain your health for you, not only for you, but for your children as well. Because as uh, as Alika had already alluded to, like with our parents, by the time we get our parents' age, you know, I don't want, you know, my sons to be like, oh, man, I got to you know, fly out to go check on my dad. He's not feeling good or he's not able to do the things that he wants to do. So, I mean, it's not only an investment for today, but it's a, an investment for the future. And uh, the last thing I will say about the physical piece is that uh, oftentimes we think like, you know, you got to go in and go 100 miles per hour and, you know, be in there for three hours. That is not the case. There's a great book called uh, Atomic Habits. And, you know, with Atomic Habits, it's all about, hey, if you're getting 1% better each and every day at the end of the year, you're like uh, way better off than you would have been if you wouldn't have been doing anything. So even if, you know, you just go in, go walk on a treadmill or you just get out in your neighborhood, walk, get some, some vitamin D from the sun, you know, take your dog for a walk, I mean, you know, uh, bike, find a biking group if you like to bike, like. It's all about finding those things that uh, that that bring you enjoyment. And if you like working out in groups, you know, find you a you know a body pump class or a spin class or just something where you know you're able to still uh, take care of of your physical fitness. Because this is really really important. Because I would say oftentimes people are we're always so like go 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 go. And then you know oftentimes you don't have uh, the wealth that you want necessarily to be able to do the things that you want. So uh, one of my grandfather's sayings uh, before he passed away, he's like, when you're young, you have your health, but you don't have wealth. He's like, when you get older, if you've been smart, unfortunately, a lot of people have wealth, but they don't have their health because they didn't make it a priority. So uh, that's something that he said that always, always sticks with me is, you know, make sure that you take care of your health. Because, you know, if you don't have either one of them, I mean, you, you wind up in a place where you don't want to be. So, yeah, that's that's what I would say about that. Well, I think you guys have given us some excellent advice. I appreciate you giving us a little behind the scenes look of your marriage and your transition and how everything has gone. I really appreciate you sharing your story and, and coming on the show and being here with me today. Thank you. Well, for having thanks us. for having us, Lori. And good luck to anybody that's transitioning. Absolutely. We are here to help you make your own luck, right? Because I I believe that luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. So let's help you make your luck. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Lessons Learned for Vets podcast. If you learned just one lesson today that you believe can help you in your military transition, then I've done my job. Please don't keep this podcast a secret. Share it with as many of your active duty service member friends and transitioning veterans who may be struggling with that process as possible. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and join our YouTube channel so you don't miss any lessons that we share.